0: Everyone, Welcome to the Tulsa World Opinion Editorial Video Podcast. I am Jenny Graham, the Editorial's Editor.
1: I'm Bob Doucette, Editorial Writer.
0: And this video is available on podcast through Google, iTunes, and Spotify. So check us out that way too. So we thought that we would take this time to give some impressions of the State of the State. Governor Kevin Stitt yesterday gave the State of the State, which is a Tradition, every governor has every year, and uh, you know there's always a mixed bag of good and bad, in our opinion. So I'm just going to start out asking um, Bob, mm-hmm. not after me, of course, because I'm talking, <laughs> I guess. Um, the impression, and I'm looking, and I was thinking like adjectives. How do we how do we describe our impression of the state of the state? And and I don't mean this mean. I really don't, but I just kind of came away with like sameness. I really don't know whether that's a word, but I'm just going to call it sameness. Um, only because, you know, I've been hearing and reading state of the states for seems like forever. I know, Bob, you have too in this business. And there is a sameness to them. And every governor will get up and take credit for all the wonderful things and uh, not take blame for any of the things, the bad things. Or in some cases, including this one, just pretend the bad things don't exist. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, that's the same. I mean, you want to, present a positive outlook. And I think that's what he was trying to achieve, setting out his own priorities. But, um, you know, I didn't think it was anything like groundbreaking. So, I mean, what what are your adjectives that you came up with?
1: Well, I think a lot of what I saw, and I owe, I owe a lot of this to uh, basically the makeup of the legislature, is the governor knew he was talking to a friendly audience. Um, you know, three quarters of the legislature is Republican. I think they've all come around, whatever sort of legislative governor's office conflicts exist in the first couple of years. It seems as if that stuff has been kind of swept away. And I, it it sounded like, bear with me on this, but in a lot of ways it sounded like a victory lap. It's like, look at all the great stuff and. One of the cues that I saw that I thought was interesting, and I wonder if this was something that somebody told him to do. But he'd make a point, and then everyone starts clapping, and then he would start. He'd start clapping, which was weird because it's like you're almost—it's almost like a comedian laughing at their own jokes. I thought that was a very strange thing, but yeah, I never noticed this, that. I'm gonna yeah, start doing it, that for
0: me, I'm gonna start clapping for myself around the house. <laughs> Yay! Good I job, Jenny. Good job. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, but it was a lot like what you said, and it's it is reflected in the budget that's being proposed. Uh, he's going for another flat budget. So yeah, I mean we have a extra lot of money,
0: same. and we're putting it in savings. So yep. all of these things that he's talking about, we do with what it, and, and we'll find out for certain how much money the legislature has to spend later this month. Right. I think right. it's the Board of Equalization will meet. Um, but I'll, I'll just start with you know where where I found agreement. Um, because there, you know, I think with everything, you you should try to find some common ground first. And, uh, and for me, that was when he mentioned the hope theory. And -hmm. I know some people mocked it because I just don't think they understand it. The theory of hope is an actual theory that was developed by a university of Oklahoma, Tulsa researcher, Dr. Chan Hellman. And I met Dr. Hellman more than a decade ago when he was sort of first developing this idea and it basically he, he he's taking i mean he's a numbers guy and he took the idea of how much do people have hope and it's really a fancy way of saying goal setting do people feel when you have hope you have a a goal to meet how uh, how optimistic is a person to meet that goal and he came across this in places like homeless shelters and places where you would think there would be very low you know Optimism and, and hope, and he found the opposite—that it's something that can be measurable. And so he has spent, you know, the greater part of 15 or 20 years developing this, and it's been embraced by national nonprofits, um, one with dealing with domestic violence, a lot of ho- homeless shelters here locally, a lot of nonprofits locally, and the Department of Education. Joy Hofmeister um, got in on it a few years ago and started piloting how that would look, how taking that theory and applying it in schools, and Sarah Stitt developed a, her own foundation to promote this. So, you know, I know that Joy Hoffmeister and Kevin Stitt are going to be running against each other, but they do agree that this is a, a legitimate research, science-based idea, and he wants to uh, apply that across all state agencies. How that will look in real life, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how the department, you know, guy who's inspecting pork plants will benefit from that, but, you know, maybe. So it'll be interesting, but, um, and, and I, I I do want to say it's not a substitute from, for brain health. It's not, it's tied to those mental health issues, but it's not services for mental health or, or things like that. This is tied to it, but not a replacement. So, um, where did you find, what was, what was an agreeable point for you?
1: Well, it was a few things that I thought were worth highlighting and, um, or things that intrigued me, I guess. Yeah. So the first thing that intrigued me was he was talking about. Um, it sounded like a, a plan for consolidating state law enforcement, and I'd like to know more about that. Are we Are we looking at possibly creating a unified state police, where you're melding in OSBI, OBN, the Highway Patrol, or something like that? You know, is that what we're looking at here? And if the whether it's better or not, I can't say for sure. But it is interesting because that would be a major change in state law enforcement.
0: Yeah, so I want you to look more. at state agencies that did that before. Do you want one yeah. big state agency with one person at the top, or do you, or do we like the smaller agencies that be in theory are more accessible? I don't know. So yeah, that that was intriguing too.
1: Hard to say, but I'm interested in that. And I think it was a good thing to highlight some of the things of how state finance has turned around. Because yeah, it was bad. You remember how it was in the second term under Mary Fallon? Revenue failures, you know, budget cuts and all the sorts of, it was bad. So we have come a ways from that. And that is a good thing to know, at least going forward, that you know, it's being reflected in the states, bond rating and stuff like that. So there are tangible things that tell us economically the state is doing fairly well in comparison to maybe some other places that are not. Now it's taking digs at other states and stuff like that. I mean, let's let's hold off on that because, I mean, if we want to bust on other states and everything, you got to look at what they're doing right and that we're not doing.
0: All right. I mean, well, we um, keep in mind, we still have, we, we cut our corporate and and personal income tax last year you know the top and so we were promised that that will come back to us as you know it'll invest invest back in the community and make our state budget grow but we haven't realized that yet so to me until we start and and there's on the budget he wants to cut more taxes it sounds like through groceries and personal income and i'm i'm leery of it not that i like high taxes but i just don't want to go back to those days I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Because when these taxes started getting cut, in the past, what that has meant was we're cutting taxes, yay, taxpayers happy. Mm -hmm. But then you have to start finding ways to make up for that lost money. Because traditionally speaking, in any state that has done this, you you know, cut taxes to the bone is invariably you end up having to cut services cut budgets and things start falling through the cracks in a major way. We haven't seen that yet. But will we? And well, that's what yeah. usually happens.
0: Well, we're also, I think and I think I mentioned this last week, we're a little drunk on federal aid right now. I yes, mean, we've had that's a lot true. of relief not just coming through the state but individuals. I mean, we've we've gotten mm-hmm. You know, in you know, businesses have gotten grants to stay afloat. So all that's going to go away. And so I'm I'm just leery of I, I just want to see the dust settle.
1: Well, if we, we have we an economic downturn, that's where the real problem begins. When things are fine, it's like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but we're we're white knuckling our way through this in terms of the state budget. But if you have a downturn and you've cut all these taxes. Uh, that's when things get really bad. That's when you have the revenue failures and the massive budget cuts and doing some of the more extreme things we had to do just to make ends meet. You know, it's good that we've got $2 billion in reserves. That's wonderful, but you can go through that pretty quick as we saw during the pandemic and during those revenue failure days. What I'm worried about, and there weren't a lot of details with this, but I wanna know more, is he talked about somehow tying income taxes and other types of of taxes to state revenues. And it almost sounds like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to pull the plug on revenues while times are good. But what happens when times are bad? Does that mean the taxes go back up to shore things up? Or are we just going to slowly erode until there is no tax base? And that's, that's a very, very strange policy thing. I don't even know what to call it, theory, that I don't quite understand what they're trying to do with that outside of saying we're just going to keep cutting taxes and everyone's going to be happy. So I don't know how that works. Um, but in the short term, we are seeing a good revenue situation in the state. Um, unemployment is low. Of course, it really didn't get that bad either, during the pandemic, not like a lot of other states suffered, but unemployment is low. And, you know, more or less, we're kind of, we're kind of going along okay, I think. It's not like we're all just bathing in tubs full of $100 bills or nothing like that. I mean, let's be realistic here, but, you know, definitely uh, it could be a lot worse than it's been.
0: Any other areas of agreement you think?
1: Well, well those I'll tell you, were the ones I'll tell you, that you stuck what got you my intention
0: at was he spent a lot of time on law enforcement. Yeah. And the one thing he said within that was that um, he was interested in the mental health. I call it brain mm-hmm. health because it's about a brain. Mm-hmm. Let's call, let's let's try to equate it to, to health, physical health. So, mm-hmm. but he said, he goes, you know, we're burning out law enforcement officers. They need, you know, services and brain health. And he's right. Uh, but I would add to that teachers who are just yes. done and they're leaving, he didn't talk about the record numbers of resignations and retirements there and frontline workers healthcare frontline workers yeah. um they're they're going too. they're yeah. exhausted the pandemic has has stressed them out and so we we need to talk about the the mental health or brain health system overall and we in just last week the consortium of healthy minds which is a consortium of, of mental health advocates and and doctors said that the numbers are showing that we have an epidemic of youth suicide. I mean, it's yeah. alarming, an epidemic of youth suicide with the numbers since the pandemic. So we really, as a community, have to talk about this system as, in access, affordability, uh, parity with insurance. And I, I think there's some legislation that should, ought to be getting to that, which as the session goes on, I hope they'll take that into account because- you know, we can't have a healthy workforce and economy if our, you know, essential workers are getting, the, their their mental health is sliding to the point of leaving and our children are at risk like this. So so I will, I'll agree with him on that, that that, we, we need a better approach on that.
1: Yeah, I think that is, um, I would like to see that more comprehensive, but first responders and uh, mental health, uh, mental health care and putting an emphasis on that. Uh, there are people I know personally who, uh, who deal with that on a day-to-day basis, because the, the crime scenes that you go to, the accident scenes that you have to work, the fire scenes that you have to work, and so forth, you end up driving by those every day, and those are just kind of repeated small traumas that add up, and it's important that that be addressed. So I think that was a, a good bit to get in there.
0: The um, A big area of disagreement that we have right now, I think from the editorial board and just from my perspective, is using, is, he outlined, and he had a lot of pithy slogans to outline fixing public schools by using private school vouchers. I have, and, and he cited uh, Greg Treat's bill uh, 1647 in that, And I, and when you read that, it is just a straight up private voucher. And philosophically what that is saying and there is nowhere else in our state budget do we look at this this way that we pay our taxes into the government to 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 our legislators to to dole out but for some reason with education we're like but what's my cut I'm going to take my cut and spend it at this private school that I want we don't do that with any other you know I don't go to DHS and go what's my part of the DHS part because I want to take that and give it to Catholic Charities adoption instead of DHS adoption, I mean, or, 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 you know, take any example, but for some reason with public education, it's viewed as this sort of individual, right, rather than the communal good. And that bill in particular is troublesome because, I mean, we already have a problem with no one holding epic charter schools accountable when the state auditor has said she can't account for like, what, 150, 145 million dollars, or there's mismanagement how are we going to then take more millions of dollars and put them into schools that by, by the law that's being proposed, they don't have to tell us where that money is going. They don't have to um, say whether the ac- academic opportunity was better. So if a student from a public school takes money and gives it to a private school, how do we know their academic progress has gotten better? Because the private schools are not under any obligation to have testing or tell us where their money's going. And um, part of that bill is says that students in what the so-called F schools can transfer out to a private school using this voucher. But how do we know the private schools, what, what's their grade? Everyone assumes private schools are better and they might be for some kids, but they're not the same. And so there's no accountability in this voucher program and to me, What's, what's where we disagree on this and and is, does this make public schools better? He had a lot of sloganeering that I think people need to get past. You know, God gave kids to parents, not government. Okay. Right. And he wants to not fund systems, but it is a system. Our communities are networks of systems. And if this doesn't improve the public schools and the public schools get worse, then that is not going to help your economic Bottom yeah. line for a community, it is because businesses wanting to locate to cities, they look up how are the public schools doing, and if our public yeah. schools are doing bad, they're not going to come here.
1: So, well, let's so let's we be have honest. an inherent disagreement there. Yeah, let's let's just be honest about this. Be totally frank about the public school situation in Oklahoma. Back way way back, we're going to have reach back here a few decades. We decided under House Bill ten seventeen we need to put more money in schools, we need to get more teachers in there, we need to properly fund public schools. And for the three decades since then, we've been doing nothing from a policy standpoint except chopping away at that. You cannot talk about record funding for common education or education in general and ignore things like a record number of teacher retirements, a record number of emergency certifications, teachers getting burned out, super, you know, superintendents and administrators worried that they cannot teach anything and feel safe without something, someone coming along and suing them. These are the types of things that weaken a system. And all we're talking about doing here is transferring money from one system that, frankly, state government has been undermining for decades into another system, which, like you said, does not have the transparency controls needed to make sure that we're actually getting our money's worth. Right, And, and it also doesn't put in, keep in mind of the students who do not get to take advantage of this. Right, We're just going to leave them out in the cold. We're just going right. to leave their teachers to administrators in the cold. Or what's you have bad? a
0: point because it's being touted as an equity thing. But as long as there are barriers, there's no equity. As long as a, a private school can say, no, you can't come in here Mm-hmm. That's not equity. And sometimes equity is as much as a, a parent doesn't have a car. Well private schools are under no obligation to provide transportation mm-hmm. where public schools do. So it is not equitable. It does not help with equity in a system and, and and we have asked uh, you know I reached out to Senator Greg Treat uh, through a text message and left a, a voicemail with his assistant to try to meet with him to to find out a little bit more about it because, I would like to know more about the thinking because I just cannot see how this in any way helps public schools but
1: well, I'll tell um, you this and this is this will be my king thought on the whole thing if you properly invest in your public school system and in higher education and in career tech that strengthens your state it strengthens your economy and it makes you a more desirable place to do businesses for the to business for the industries that are here and the industries are interested in coming here if you have a weak education system the only kind of jobs we're going to get are distribution centers and low cost low wage call center type of jobs and you know if that's what they want that's fine let's just be honest but if we really want those high-end jobs that we're touting with you know canoe maybe coming here and whatever else we're trying to attract, you cannot weaken your public school system. You just can't do it and succeed.
0: And he he did mention breaking down silos, which is something I've heard everyone going back to, to Frank Keating say that the and in, in they're right, having kids in high school, there there does need to be more of those walls being broken down between career tech and that. So I'll, I'll give him yeah. that. You yeah. know, you, you mentioned things that weren't spoken about, and the big one. Was no mention of COVID.
1: Nope.
0: I was I was disappointed in that because did did you ever look up how many how many people have died since then? Um, I want to say it's, it was like thirteen. It's 000.
1: over, yeah. It's over thirteen thousand and closing in on fourteen thousand.
0: I mean that's, that's huge. And I mean at a minimum, state leaders have mishandled this. At mm. worst, it's been a disaster. They never got the pandemic center off the ground. You know, there was this huge void of information. We've gone through four health department directors. There's, you know, the the void was filled luckily by, um, you know, a consortium of of doctors and Dale Bratzler from OU Medical. I mean, it took those basically, you know, private entities and hospitals to step in and actually give us information. So uh, that was disappointing. Did that strike you?
1: Yeah, it did. And it was one of those things where the governor kind of danced around it a little bit in a way that suits a political narrative that they've been trying to push lately mm-hmm. is that we wanted to make the pandemic affect us as least as possible but without really doing the things that would actually mitigate the pandemic so keep businesses open keep keep the machinery of the economy running and stuff like that so i get it i understand it nobody wants to see businesses being shut down or having to limit their services or their hours and stuff like that because of the pandemic. But the thing is, is, I mean, we can pretend it doesn't exist. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It has taken a toll on, you know, pretty much every area of the economy in the state and nationally. And if you just, if you really want to take a look at that and see how it is, just go through downtown and talk to some of the business owners down here who have been trying their hardest to stay open. And some long time uh, people just have not been able to do it for whatever reason. There's risks to workers, there's worse risks to owners and there's risks to clientele that could have been more aggressively dealt with that we just chose not to because it just wasn't in the political cards to do it. So, you know, that's, and and we do pay for that in terms of having some of the highest per capita deaths, severe illnesses, hospitalizations, and infections. That's us. We're, in that respect, we are a top 10 state.
0: (laughs) Well, and the the other disheartening thing was that we're not even doubling down on McGirt, we're quadrupling down. It's just um, it's disheartening because recently tribal leaders have reached out through their own ways to say it's time for a reset. The Supreme Court is clear. Jurisdictionally, the reservations were never de-established. So unless Congress is going to act on that, which they have no appetite to, um, then state leaders and law enforcement need to get on board with the post McGirt world and we have, there's been plenty of coverage to show this affected so few cases. 25,000 prisoners, only 235 affected. Almost 75% of those have already been retried and prosecuted. And of the rest, half of them were on nonviolent drug crimes. And the other half fall in, they are not violent criminals, but they fall, or they, some of them might've been, but they fall into a uh, kind of a zone that Congress could fix. It's a a statute of limitations issue. But- that has chilled relationships that affect hunting and fishing licenses, gaming. I mean, it's just things like, and he mentioned wanting to to improve infrastructure and education. Tribal governments are fantastic partners to Oklahoma. They, I mean, you go into county areas, they're the ones fixing county roads. They're the ones donating money to the schools. They're the ones, tribal governments step up in these small towns. And so the state of Oklahoma While they, you know, they also talk about fighting Joe Biden. When it comes to things like infrastructure, we need those partnerships. We need federal money. We need tribal partners. So this whole McGirt fight, it's just, it's just pointless at this juncture. It it stands, let's move forward. And the line of, you know, something like this leaves it up to the federal government. Well, our U.S. attorneys are, are Oklahomans. You know, these aren't foreign out-of-state people who are trying these cases. They're being tried in tribal and and federal courts that are here. So I I just, I hope moving forward, some of the lawmakers can help bridge that gap because that continued fight is just not being helpful. So- Well, let's um,
1: take a look at it this way. The longer we continue to do this, the longer we're going to have the uncertainty. When you start- And that was one thing that he was a major term that he used was, you know, legal uncertainty, economic uncertainty. The path that we're on right now is just gonna drag that out Mm -hmm. because like you said, the court said what it said is ruled how it's ruled. And we're already starting to see local governments and other agencies partnering with the tribes to figure out how to move into the post McGirt world. The faster we get there, the more certain things will become. The frameworks will be built. Oklahoma is a unique state. There's other states that have tribes and tribal reservations, but the state of Oklahoma is just different because of how concentrated the number of tribes are here in this state. And when we're talking about the ones affected by the McGirt decision, I'm not sure any other state has that kind of a situation going on. So what do you do? Do you just hold on to the past? You know, dig in your heels, or do you try to find a path forward that works for everybody? That's already starting to happen at the micro level, and we need to start making it happen at the macro level. That's the fastest way to get through this, and that's the fastest way to smooth all this out.
0: Mm-hmm. I was, I noticed in i in our paper this morning, he used he pointed out a case, um, and the, and the mother was there of a drunk driver who killed yes. a person. And I I remember at the time thinking, there's got to be more to that story. And sure enough, there was uh the person, the, the alleged defendant is still in jail. It yes. gave the impression that this person is out. Actually, the person never left, he's still behind bars, mm-hmm. um, awaiting a decision on an appellate court. So I thought that was a little disingenuous to hold it out. Like, look, we've got you know, violent people roaming in in the case that he cited. I just wanted to point out that our reporters did a good job by following up and showing no, he that that defendant is not out. Mm-hmm. The person is behind bars. There's just like with many cases, you're pending, you know, decision. So, um, you know, I, I know the only other thing that, that caught my attention was the jab at initiative petitions. And I don't want to <laughs> yeah. belabor that, but I'm, I'm <clears throat> with a growing number of people being tired of being told I don't know what I'm voting for. I knew what I was voting for with medical marijuana. I knew the language was bad, but it's up to the legislature to fix that language because he, governor sits right. We have bad actors coming in yeah. that are, they have found loopholes, So we need to shore those up. But the answer is not to do away with the initiative petition. He mentioned these are out of state interests coming in. well, no more than cut and paste legislation that yes. conservative lawmakers get from Alec or pro, you know or you know pro-life areas. I mean, the initiative petition at least has some requirements. you have to be an Oklahoma and an Oklahoma voter. Yeah. So I would say cut the cut out the cut and paste legislation and leave the initiative petition. And because those initiative petition Pass, and you know this, Bob. It's because lawmakers didn't do what they were asked for years. That's right. That, I mean, that's how people wanted to expand Medicaid. Legislature yep. refused. So what did we do. Well, we got together and said, "Okay, we'll pass it." People want medical marijuana. I mean, you can just go down a whole list of stuff. So, don't get rid of the initiative petition. Just listen to the people. So,
1: yeah, let's make Oklahoma government a little bit more, or at least retain its accountability to the people. Because yeah, right I, now, with if you look at the percentage of people who are uh, of one party in the legislature compared to what's out there in the state, they are uneven. There are more Republicans than Democrats in Oklahoma, but it's not three to one.
0: No, it's, and, you know, when we talk about all Oklahomans, there are all Oklahomans don't necessarily look just like what our legislature does. And so I hope right. that the lawmakers keep that in mind. So, mm-hmm. um well, that's what I, you know, I want to just remind people that that's just the, the executive branch's priorities. We do have a legislature. It is a co-branch. So I would, I'm interested to hear what our leaders in the House and the Senate have to say. You know, the governor isn't, isn't the king of the state. Um, he, you know, we do have, uh, legislators who can, um, uh, uh, have power too so it'll be interesting moving forward i'm i'm glad that he set out the priorities but you know we have a, a session that's kicked off now so it'll be interesting any last words bob
1: i uh eagerly await the groundbreaking of canoe and seeing cars actually roll off the production line because it's become such a thing about how great uh, our state is at attracting businesses I want to see that happen.
0: I'd like to see the, uh, some hiring happen. Yeah. That too. I am looking forward to those stories as well. So Let's,
1: let's move some dirt and get some frames up and let's, uh, let's see some hiring happen.
0: Well, thank you everybody for tuning in. And Bob and I will get together on Friday and do another. So thank you very much. For more information, you can visit TulsaWorld.com.